Chapters 9 through 12 of $3,000 by Anna Catherine Green. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Roger Moline. $3,000 by Anna Catherine Green. Chapter 9. The safe door is opened, I cried. Go on. Don't be a fool. That was nothing. I don't know. It was like a great sigh at my ear. But this is awful. Couldn't we have one spark of light? And have the police upon us the next minute? Look up at that window. You can see it, can't you? Yes, yes, but very faintly, Fellows whispered. But you can see it. So could those outside, if we had one glimmer of light in here. No, no, you'll have to stand the dark or quit. But you shan't quit till you've told me what you saw in the room where the safe is. The safe door opening. His voice trembled so that the other shook him to steady his nerves. Not opened, mind you, but opening. It was like magic, and I stared so that she forgot her fears and forgot her questions. Turning from me with a startled cry, she looked behind her and saw what I saw and tried to push me out. "'I'll come, I'll come,' she whispered. "'Leave me a minute and I'll come.' "'But I wasn't going to do that. "'The safe door is opened,' I cried. "'Did you do it?' "'She didn't know what to say. "'I have never seen a woman in such a state. "'Then she whispered, in awful agitation, "'Yes, I've been given the combination by Mr. Stoughton. "'I'm duly following his orders. "'But my father! "'What about my father?' You frightened me, so I forgot that... I waited, staring at her, but she didn't finish. She just asked, My father, what has happened to him? Nothing serious, I managed to say. I wished the old father was in Ballyhack. But he'd served his turn. I must say that he'd served his turn. A telephone message, I went on. He had had a nervous spell and wanted you. I said that you could go home at noon. She stood looking at me doubtfully. Then her eyes stole back to the safe. You will have to leave me here for a few minutes, she said. I have Mr. Stoughton's business to attend to. He will not be pleased at my having given away his secret. He did not wish it known who controlled his affairs in his absence. But now that you do know, you will be doing the right thing to let me go on in the way he has planned for me. His orders must be carried out. She is very determined and understands herself only too well, but I am manager and I paid her back in her own coin. That's all very well, said I, but what proof have I that you are telling me the truth? You have opened the safe. You say you have the combination, but people sometimes surprise a combination and open a safe from other interests than those of their employer. You seem a good girl, but you are a girl, and there are men here much more likely to be in Mr. Stoughton's confidence than yourself. With that open safe before us, I cannot leave you here alone. What you take from it I must see, and if possible be present at your negotiations. That I consider a manager's duty under the circumstances. Mr. Fellows, she asked, can you read this morning's telegram? 
"'No,' I felt bound to reply. "'Then that acquits you. I can.' And again she tried to urge me to go out. But I would not be urged. I was staring across the room at the open safe and in fancy clutching its contents. In fact, I made one step toward them. But she drew herself up with such an air that I paused. She's a big girl, you know, and not to be fooled with when she's angry. "'Come a step farther, and I will scream for the watchman,' she whispered. All our talk had been low, for there were listening ears everywhere. We couldn't risk that, and I stepped back. Immediately she saw her advantage, and added, "'If you do not think better of it and leave the room, I'll scream.' For answer to this, I said that I... Chapter 10 I Have a Scheme "'What?' A yell answered him. "'Something hit me! Something hit me!' "'Yes, I hit you, and I'll hit you again if you don't go on.' Fellows shivered, attempted some puerile protest, balked, and stammeringly obeyed his restless and irritated companion. "'I—I I said—I wasn't such a fool then as I am now—that she had lied when she told me that she had the combination.' There was no combination. The safe did not even have a lock. The door opened with a spring. How had she induced that spring to give way? I demanded to know. And did she tell you? No, she merely repeated, I will scream, and that will cause a scandal, which will lead to your discharge, not mine. So, so I came out. "'Blast your eyes! And when did she come out?' "'Within five minutes. I watched the clock.' "'And what did she have?' "'Nothing in sight.' "'I see. A deep game. But I know a deeper. There is no possibility of breaking into that safe by night, undetected by the watchman?' "'None. And that watchman is incorruptible.' The whole contents of the safe wouldn't move him to connect himself with this job. The job must be done by day and during office hours? Yes. And cannot be done without the assistance of this girl? You've heard. Very well. I have a scheme. Now listen to me. Not even the rat which at that minute nibbled at fellow's boot heel could have heard what followed. The panting of two breasts was, however, audible, and when, fifty minutes later, both crawled out of the cellar window among the rubbish which littered the rear of this once holy place, the one was trembling with excitement and the other with fear. They parted at the first thoroughfare, neither having eyes to see nor hearts to appreciate the touching scene which miles away was taking a place in a little flat not very far from Harlem. An old man, frail in body, but with a sturdy spirit yet, was looking up from his pillow at the loving face of a young girl who was bending over him. "'I cannot sleep tonight,' he said to her. "'I cannot sleep, but that must not disturb you. I have so many things to think, pleasant things, but you have only cares, and must rest from them. You look very tired tonight, tired and worried.' Leave me and sleep. 
I want to see you bright in the morning. Chapter 11 She Will Go In The next day there was a dearth of assistants in the office. One was sick, one had pleaded a long-delayed vacation, two had business for the concern which took them into different quarters of the city, and Mr. Beers, who was next in authority to Mr. Fellows, had been summoned to serve on the grand jury. Perhaps it was this knowledge that Mr. Beers would be absent which had led to the manager's easiness in regard to the others, for he had been easy, or so Miss Lee thought when she arrived in the morning and saw the office almost empty. However, it did not trouble her much. On the contrary, the quiet and non-surveillance of the two clerks who did the business of the day seemed rather to elate her, and she went about her work, copying letters and taking down notes, with an alacrity and air of cheerful hope, which caused the manager to cast toward her more than one suspicious look from his desk in the adjoining room. He was not busy, though he had been the first to arrive that morning, and he had brought with him a large square package which he had taken into the room which held the safe. He pretended to be busy, but anyone watching him closely would have noticed that his eyes, and not his hands, were all that were engaged, and they were anywhere but on his desk or the letter he appeared to be reading. An observer would also have noticed that his nervousness was of the extreme sort, and that the trembling which shook his whole body increased visibly whenever his glance fell on the door of Mr. Beers's private room, opening at his back. No one was supposed to be in that room today, and had Miss Lee not been one minute late this special morning, perhaps there might not have been. But in that one minute's grace, a man had entered the office who had not gone out again, and where could he be if not in that one closed room? The room which held the safe was open as usual, and many of Mr. Fellows's glances traveled that way. He had entered it once only since his first hurried visit of the early morning, but only to pull down the shade over the glass in the door communicating with the outside hall. This was his usual custom, and it attracted no attention. Why shouldn't he enter it again? He thought he would. A fascination was upon him. The problem he had given Beau Johnson to solve was to receive a test this day which would make him a rich man or a felon. But before that hour, why not make his own study, his own investigation? True, he had made these many times before, but not with such lights to guide him. He might learn. But no, the very conceit was folly. He knew his own limitations, else he had not called in the services of this crook. He could learn nothing by himself, but he might look the place over and see if all was in shape for the great attempt. That was only his duty. Beau Johnson had a right to expect that of him. If the scrub woman had moved anything... As the thought that this possibly might have happened, he jumped to his feet and hurried into the outer office. But when he turned toward the room of the safe, he met Miss Lee's eye fixed upon him with such a keen, inquiring look that he faltered in his determination and went in another direction instead. She knew that he had no business in that room, and she also knew that he knew she knew this. 
Any pretense that he had would only rouse her suspicions, and these must be lulled to the point of security, or she might not enter there herself, and on her entering there everything depended. Almost immediately upon the thought he was back in his seat, and the weary moments crept on. Would she never make her accustomed visit to that room? No cablegram had come that morning, but she would find some reason for going in. Of that he had been assured by Johnson. Why, he had not been told. "'She will go in,' Bo Johnson had said, and Fellows believed him. He believed everything the other said, otherwise he could not have gone on with this business. But she was very long about it. Harlow would be coming back. Chapter 12 A Block of Steel Ah, he had an idea. It was not his own, but for the moment he thought it was. He would leave the office himself and thus give her an opportunity to quit her work and shut herself up with the safe. But was his mind leaving him? There was something to be done first. The way must be cleared for the man in hiding to enter that room before she did. How was this to be accomplished? A dozen suggestions had been given him by his confederate, but he had forgotten them all. He was in too great a world to think, yet he must think. Some way must be found. Ah, he had it. Taking up the receiver at his side, he telephoned to a German friend to call him up in five minutes, giving him the number of the telephone in the farthest room. This he did in German, telling him it was a joke and that he was not to insist upon an answer. Then he waited. In five minutes this farther bell rang. Calling to Miss Lee, he asked her to answer for him, saying he was very busy. As she rose, he gave a preconcerted signal on the door of Mr. Beers's room. As she disappeared in the one beyond, the dapper figure of Johnson crossed the outer office and slipped into the one holding the safe. A minute later she was back reporting the message and getting instructions, but the one thing she had to fear had been done. The trap had been laid, and now for its victim. It was not long before that victim responded to the call. On the departure of the manager from the room, Grace Lee rose, and with a conscious look toward the two clerks, slipped across the floor to the open door of the safe room. Entering, she swung to the door, which closed with a snap. Then, with just a moment of hesitation, in which she seemed to be trying to regain her breath, she passed quickly across to the safe and took up her stand before it. So directly and so quickly had she done this that she had not seen the slim, immovable figure drawn up against the wall at her right behind the projection of a large bookcase nor did any influence for good or evil cause her to turn after she had reached the safe. All her thoughts, all her hopes, all the dreams which she had cherished seemed to be concentrated in the blank, eyeless object which confronted her, impenetrable to all appearances, a block of steel without visible opening, an enigma among safes, the problem of all problems to every cracksman in town but one, which was about to be solved, if one could judge from the thrill which now shook her, 
and in shaking her communicated the same excitement to the silent, breathless, determined man in her rear, watching her as the tiger watches the quarry, and with the same tiger spring latent in his eye. In a moment her secret would be out, and then... End of chapters 9 through 12 Recording by Roger Moline